Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Good to have you back for Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. But hope you're having a good week learning some great influence tools. Being a great influencer, I spent the week in San Francisco and it was actually nice. I don't mean that in a negative way. It's usually you go to San Francisco, you're always cold. Even though you're in California, it's always cold. But it was really nice. And the food was good. And of course, got my clam chowder in a nice sourdough bowl. Always good to have. So this is episode 255. Thanks for being here. We're going to go back to one of our better interviews we've done here on the show. This is an actual FBI hostage negotiator. I did this interview along with Steve Olson a while back. It's also in the archives at influenceuniversity.com. So let me introduce Chris. Chris Voss is the CEO of the Black Swan Group. He's also the author of the national bestseller, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating Like Your Life Depended on It. He's a 20-year veteran of the FBI, where he retired as lead international kidnapping negotiator. His current company, Black Swan Group, focuses on solving business communication problems. There's some great information here, do's and don'ts about negotiation. Let's cut to the interview, Chris Voss. Fascinating topic. Let's take a deep dive in here and figure out how we can use some skills our listeners can become better negotiators. As we talk about all the time, we negotiate and persuade every day, and these skills will will make you money. If you don't have them, as you mentioned, they'll cost you money. The most serious question of the day, Chris, is, all right, what vegetable? What is the worst vegetable on the planet? We, we got to know. I was trying to think of that. Is it eggplant? Is an eggplant a vegetable? <laughs> I mean, I, I would put it, yeah, I put it in the category of worst vegetables, yeah. You know, because you always get it in Italian food in this amazing sauce and with everything else with it. So the, I think they're trying to disguise this horrible vegetable <laughs> inside of this amazing dish and give me, you know, Parmesan, anything except eggplant Parmesan. There you go. <laughs> give me chicken. Give me something else. Yeah, I think that comes from emotional scars where my mom tried to hide certain things and sauces and vegetables. I'm like, wait a minute, something's <laughs> up here. Right. Something's up. All right, good answer, good answer. Yeah, they got to bury it and disguise it. That's uh, <laughs> probably one of the better well-thought-out vegetable answers we've ever got. Congratulations, Chris. <laughs> Go throughout your day knowing you just nailed it on that answer. Uh, all right, yeah, all right. I'm to the lightning round now. Right? Yes, you are. Yeah, here, here's actually the <laughs> lightning round. On the show, we, we like to feature every week a blunder where somebody has made a critical uh, persuasion or negotiation or influence error. We're curious, what's one of the worst blunders you've seen, whether you did it yourself or whether you saw it done in your career with the FBI or training businesses where somebody just really, really pulled a bad move negotiating? Don't, don't, don't. Well, I mean, I was kind of mad at myself for something I did the other day because we're on the phone with a client and I thought we had our side, we were clear on what the end of the conversation was and what the next steps were. And we didn't summarize and we didn't three plus it. We didn't have them repeat it three times because we listen really good. So we know where we are. And two days later, we got back on a phone with them and they had a completely different impression than we had at the end of the last conversation. I was so mad at myself. 
sometimes we hate to summarize because we think it's blatantly obvious and we're scared to point out the obvious. We got them to the point where we really liked and we thought we were going to move forward productively and we just didn't drill into it at the very end. I felt really stupid about that. Yeah, I've done that myself. Yeah, it's a kind of a common problem, right? I mean, we yeah. think we know where we are and we and we don't want to repeat it because we're afraid of sounding stupid. Yeah, right. It's a great point because it makes perfect sense to us, but then, of course, the prospect, the client didn't get it as well because we've talked about it so many times. It's the first time they heard it sometimes. Uh, just sitting back and repeating and being a better listener can go a long way. Yeah. It's uh, important for all of us to relearn. That's the key word there. we got to relearn that one because we've already learned that one. We just have to relearn it and make sure we don't do it. Yeah, it's all about right. keeping a level of your game high, right? Sometimes you just yeah. you know, you let it slide a little. It's all about the, the basics sometimes, and we forget about those things that make the biggest difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, of course, we're bored by the basics, so we, we don't want to do it. But it's actually with the pros, you know, like a professional athlete, boy, they, they focus on the fundamentals to beat everybody else. Great point. Or I like the example of the pilot right there. I always go through the checklist every time. Doesn't matter. And that keeps everyone safe. Great. Right. Well, let me ask you another question here. What are some of the misconceptions about hostage negotiation and how can it really apply to that, you know, that real world negotiation? Well, first of all, that hostage takers are crazy. And they're not. They're highly rational. They've thought stuff out. It's just that their value decisions, they're based on different values than we are. And even if they're crazy, if you will, Everybody has patterns. Hostage-taking, kidnapping, that's just intense behavior. Those patterns of human behavior don't change in how people make up their mind. Everybody's triggered by fear of loss, whether it's hostage-takers or whether it's business people. What are we most afraid about losing here? And that's going to be not the only influence, but it's, it is, in fact, going to be the single biggest dominating influence, the fear of loss. And that's actually, as I was getting to learn how hostage negotiation applied completely to business negotiation, because we get somebody on a phone in a hostage negotiation, the very first thing we're looking for is what's the recent trigger is going to be a loss of some sort. There's Nobel Prize winning economic theory from 2002, Danny Kahneman, who wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's all around the fear of loss and how people react to it and how it skews our perception. And he's just talking about daily life. And when I found out about that, I thought I'm really on the right track here. Navigating loss as the single biggest influencer when we're making up our crazy monkey mind, makes all the difference in the world. Well, that's a great point. That uh, psychological reactance or that scarcity, that urgency applies in negotiation too. And people think there's that loss or they're going to be left out. That is a huge psychological trigger. Like you mentioned the monkey brain, right? It just happens. We feel it. Sometimes we didn't even know why. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we don't like the fact that every thought we have goes blasting through the monkey part of our mind. But whether it starts there or whether it just goes through there, that part of the brain changes us. Mm. Good point. Yeah, it's still there from back in the day, the fight or flight brain, the monkey brain. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So in your book, Splitting the Difference. Never the, split the difference. Never split the difference. Never split the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Good catch. Good yeah. catch. You, you were testing me there. I appreciate yeah, that. That's right. You passed again. In the light round. It's almost light. like you actually wrote it, right? <laughs> <laughs> In your book, Never Splitting the Difference, I'll be the blunder on the show next week. In your book, one of the subheadings of one of your chapters is how we need to ask for permission or get permission to persuade somebody. Can you talk about that with the context of hostage negotiating and how that transition in, into the business world? Yeah, you know, and that's another reason why it's a complete transition, because it's, a, it's an autonomy issue. Another friend of mine, Dan Shapiro, who wrote Beyond Reason a number of years ago, is a buddy from up at Harvard, really smart guy and a great guy. He talked about how autonomy, it's a lens and a lever. 
It's how we look at the way people think. And also it's a way that we can use a lever on how they think because autonomy is going to leverage them. I mean, the United States is a country born on autonomy. We're willing to die for our freedom. That's autonomy. In a business deal, you take away somebody's feeling of autonomy and they'll actually reject the deal because they felt they lost their autonomy. We had SWAT teams before we had hostage negotiators. The SWAT teams would show up and they'd say, surrender or die. And people would think, well, it's rational. Nobody wants to die. So if we tell them to surrender, they'll come out. And people were getting killed right and left because it was a loss of autonomy. And that man, a man's home is his castle. To take away his autonomy and he'll die before it comes up. In a business deal, same thing. You take away somebody's autonomy, they're more likely to reject you. So the flip side is, if that's true, then let's just take the flip side. Give them more autonomy, and they're going to be more open, and they will then, if you respect their autonomy, they will give you permission to persuade them. What would you tell somebody then? I mean, how do you give autonomy? Jim Camp's book, Start With No, started out by just letting them know ahead of time they have the right to say no. And you can say, look, please feel free to reject this at any time. We started to experiment, took it one step farther. If I can get you to say no, you will immediately feel tremendous autonomy and control. And I'll say something like, is this a ridiculous idea? It's, it's actually what I used. I thought I gave Jack Welch a stroke by asking him one time. Jack Welch is signing some books. The last book out was uh, The Real Life MBA. So he's at a book signing, and I want to ask him to come speak in my the class that I teach at USC. And I know that 8 billion people that day asked Jack to say yes to something. I mean, we're clubbed to death over yes. And getting people to say yes is how we start taking away their autonomy. If I say to you, do you want to make more money? You already know I'm leading you into a trap. I'm trying to take away your autonomy. I'm try trying to take away your ability to say no. And that happens. We're like battered children so much so that anytime somebody tries to get us to say yes, we feel a loss of autonomy. Flip side again, what happens on the flip side? Get somebody to say no. So Jack Welch is sitting there. I'm coming through just another schmuck wants his book signed. They don't know who I am, what kind of a crazy wacko I might be. They don't know if I'm going to kiss Jack Welch on the lips when I get close to him. They don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so I walk up and I just say, is it a ridiculous idea for you to come speak at the class I teach on negotiation at USC? Trying to trigger a no. He freezes. He looks up and to his left, like he's staring off into outer space with this incredibly intense look on his face and just so completely freezes with this intense look. I think to myself, my God, I just gave him a stroke. I just killed Jack Welch. Way to go. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm going to jail here. He's so angry. He had such an intense look on his face. But what he was doing was accessing his brain, going through his calendar, thinking about what he had going. And what seemed like an eternity, he finally looks back at me and he says, this is my personal assistant's name. This is how you get a hold of her. I think we're going to be in L.A. at that time. Reach out for her and see if our calendars will sync up. And I triggered so much self-control, so much clarity of thought by just changing the yes question to a no question. Is it a ridiculous idea? Well, no, it's not ridiculous. And bang, he's thinking and he's cooperating with me. Very interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. Sometimes getting the nose a right thing to do and puts things into perspective. I like that. Yeah, it's not an obstacle to be overcome. It's something to be used once you know what it does to the monkey mind, if you will. Good point. Good point. One thing we've been hammering over the last few months on the show, I know is, and you know it's important, is trust, building that trust. Without trust, it's very difficult to persuade and influence. So in your book, you also mentioned, you talked about trust, but you also talked about 
creating trust with tactical empathy. I love that word. What do you mean by tactical empathy? Yeah, well, this is not your grandfather's empathy. This is the, not the 1970s, 1960s, let's all give each other a hug and dance and sing and everybody would be wonderful. Kumbaya. That Kumbaya, sort of all that. This, this is not that. This is not, all I right. feel so bad for you. Oh, my God, it's horrible. You know, it's none of that nonsense. You know, we used empathy as a very specific tactic enough in hostage negotiation that I saw enough of the specific emotions that would be triggered. And then as I punched the button on these emotions, what it does to the decision-making process. So if I know tactically how it'll work and I can calibrate this approach, this is weaponized empathy. This is military-grade empathy. This is knowing what's going to happen. If something bothering you and there's a negative, I know how to diffuse that, to diminish it, to shrink it, if not make it disappear. I also know because... What Danny Kahneman taught us, and, his, and actually his partner, Amos Tversky, with Thinking Fast and Slow, that your fears are going to bang through your brain twice as hard as your desires. The negatives will be much more of an obstacle than the positives. So tactically, it's smarter for me to get rid of those negatives than to ignore them and pretend they'll go away, which is what most people do. Because they're so bad at dealing with negatives, the second worst thing of screwing them up is just to go silent on them. And that's why people leave them alone because they're used to screwing them up. But that's not really a great strategy. Inactivity is not a good strategy. I can tell you specifically how to diminish those negatives, which kind of frees your brain up. I got a great trick that I do in all the training that I do. I ask people to volunteer to role play with me in front of everyone else. Now, nobody wants to get embarrassed in front of a group. And if I ask you to role play, there's a real good chance you're going to take a beating because this, the, you know, quote, Voss is this great negotiator and this is in front of the group. So since I know that this is a thought process, as soon as I bring it up, when I tell people I'm going to ask them to volunteer, I say, listen, I just want you to know in advance, before you volunteer, the experience is going to be horrible. And I go dead silent. And that's me defeating, preempting a preemptive assault on the negative. And people laugh. And a tremendous amount of tension is released. And then after I give it a chance, people a chance to sink in, then I say, and those of you who do volunteer are going to get more out of it than anybody else. This is the pitch of the positive. This is a change of the sequence. And there's never any shortage of hands that shoot up very quickly as soon as I've done that. And that's a tactical sequencing that's different than what anybody else does. I get rid of the negative, and then I go after the positive. That's what tactical like like is. Very cool. Never heard of it explained in that way. That's why you need to buy my book, of course. You know, oh, so you allow me to, to say that Inc.com has picked my book as one of the seven best negotiation books ever written. Nice. Nice. Good, good job. Yeah. Kurt and I like the joke when we transitioned to promoting our stuff on the show that we just did another awkward segue. That was not awkward. That was pretty smooth, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. More oh, points. Now you're negotiating with me. You're, you know, you're making me feel good. You're working it. Nice and done. Yeah, we call that ingratiation. Uh, and even was. when you know it's what I'm doing, it works. Because I can't help but be impressed with you for being insightful if you think I'm smart, right? <laughs> there you go. That's exactly right. Well said. Well said. <laughs> so if your book could accomplish one thing, for our listeners, what would you like for that to be? Remove their fear of negotiation and make better deals. It'll bring more time into your life if you want to spend less time negotiating and more time on other things. 
if what you want is for your deals to stick. If you want for people to stop looking at you and saying that's right, just as a way to get you to stop talking. So then go back about their business and, and never change. And a lot of this ends up being fear-based behavior. They're going to be in for a fight and it's just going to be painful. If I can get that fear out of people's heads, then their life is just going to be more enjoyable. Very good. Very good. All right, this is great information to this point. We're learning some great things about negotiation and influence and how to deal, like you mentioned, the monkey brain. So as you look at the negotiators out there and the training that you've done, how would you describe a successful negotiator? What are their traits? What do you notice that they have that maybe the average negotiator doesn't have? A little bit of patience, and they like interacting with people. You'll pick negotiation up faster if you're open to learning and if you've thought, all right, I'm, I'm in it for the long term. I know it's going to take me long term. I can't pick it up instantly. There is no fairy dust. And there's this crazy reaction in the brain that changes. As soon as you decide that you're going to take a long-term approach to learning something, you actually learn it faster. If you say to yourself, I'm taking a long-term approach to becoming a better negotiator, and a half an hour of thought and practice will get you farther than the same guy who hasn't made that emotional commitment and how far they get in three hours. You get better ridiculously faster once you make in your mind say, I'm making a long-term commitment here commitment here. Kind of a, a counterintuitive thing. I like that. And then along those lines too, I know there's been a lot of negotiation training over the years and I've been to them and you've been to them. And have you been seeing that a lot of those old school techniques just aren't working like they used to, or they're dark tricks that they've been teaching just have gone to the wayside? The, yeah. There's, there's one of those in particular is this, this whole yesable stuff, you know, get people to say yes. It's, it's actually, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's the mere agreement thing. And if I get you to say yes to a mere and minor things in the conversation, then it increases the chances you're going to say yes to the big thing. And there's actually a study out there that supports it. And I looked at the study because there's a study that supports anything. I mean, somebody found some funding someplace and constructed a study to support nearly any idea. It's like accounting. So you better take a hard look at how the data was pulled together. But that is so overused that even if there was a point in time when it is valid, Human beings across the world like battered children. You try to hug a battered child, they're going to duck. And you try to get somebody to say, yes, they're going to duck and they're going to pull back. So that's really the worst thing that people are doing on a regular basis. That's a good point that our listeners should pull from that is that any tool or technique that's been abused or overused is not going to work. Or if they don't like you or don't trust you, it's not going to work. You've got to spend some time developing that foundation and understand when to use a certain tool and when not to use a certain tool. Right. Because, again, we're all a little bit different that way. And the techniques that people have been using for 20 years, those old closing skills that just don't work like they used to because they've been abused. They Sure, they worked once or used to work, but after you get hit with it 20,000 times, it just doesn't have the same effect. Right. And they've been used on us enough times to lead us into a trap, then we built a great defense for it. I had a pest control salesman come to my door a couple of months ago. And, and yeah, they're, they're certainly teaching that these brain dead yes questions. And I got so fed up with it. I said, Hey buddy, you don't have to keep sticking your foot in the door. It's wide open. You got me. Knock it off with the cheesy yeses and tell me what you're here for. Right. And uh, I think he had to go change his pants after that, but it was a good lesson <laughs> for him to, to realize everybody's onto that. It's a lot like these legal drama shows where you've got a witness on the stand and the attorney is saying, isn't it true that on this date you were here 
right. and they know they're being led to their death and prospects just feel like that with this right. kind of stuff. Exactly right. And the attorneys actually call that cornering and who wants to be cornered? <laughs> That's what they're calling it. So you're going to try to use it in sales or persuasion, the cornering technique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Try to corner a tiger and see what happens. Right, right, right. Same thing with humans. You bet. Yeah. Exactly right. I got to ask you, Chris, do you have a, a great story, whether it's business related or when you're in the FBI of a negotiation that you've really remembered over the years? We had a, uh, it was a kidnapping in the Philippines. Kidnapper was a lone kidnapper, serial killer. And it's the only lone kidnapper that I ever heard of and that we even dealt with. And I've got enough experience in kidnapping internationally. And if I haven't heard of it, it doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it probably didn't. So this guy ends up using something that is now a recognized business technique that I sniffed him out. I actually didn't think he was by himself, but I thought on the phone he was the boss because very rarely does a boss negotiate in real life. He always sends a representative, and there's a reason for that. They're trying to keep the decision maker away from the table. And anybody at the table who's in love with plural pronouns, we, they, them, if they are knocking themselves out in the negotiation to make themselves appear powerless... They are the guy. They always have a team on the other side, but anybody who's working to look and make himself look powerless is probably the most influential guy on the other side. <laughs> and this guy in the Philippines, this killer, he was always talking about the rest of his group. And I remember while this was going on, I'm thinking, like, we got the boss on the phone here. So we have started up much earlier than in this process, and I think we're talking to the boss. We end up, with the help of the Philippine National Police, catching this guy and find out that not only was he the boss, he was the sole proprietorship. <laughs> <laughs> and then we found out about the other kidnappings that he'd done. There was at least one where ransom was paid and a victim never appeared, which means he killed them. And there's another kidnapping that I had known about, but I didn't know it was this guy where he cut off an ear and sent the ear and the video of the ear to the company, the guy that he'd kidnapped uh, their employee. So I find out that we have grabbed a guy who has been somewhat notorious. We just had no idea that all these kidnaps were linked to this guy. And when we got through it and the opening of questions that we used on him and, and everything that happened in that case, then I had coached the brother of the victim through the negotiation. What I really am is a negotiation coach. And I've actually had that young man come and speak to my business school classes because it was just synonymous with all these business dynamics. That was one that it stuck out of my mind because we caught the bad guy. We rescued a, a victim and it was such an unusual case. And it was he was a businessman. He was a complete businessman and did all business tactics. Wow. Wow. So you're at the table. Well, we can't do that. I'm going to have to go clear that. The more they do that, the more likely that they're, they're the guy the more likely they are the guy, absolutely. Wow. They're hiding it from you, and they're smart enough to try to hide it. And the flip side is, the guy who is utterly in love with the singular pronouns, I, me, my, this is what I want. This is like the bartender who says, I don't stock that in my bar. <laughs> you know, he doesn't own that bar. Yeah. And it's the same thing. People in, want to enhance their importance when they don't have any. Very cool. Very cool. Well... Chris, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and, and your book? BlackSwanLTD.com. Black, B-L-A-C-K, Swan, S-W-A-N, one N like the bird, LTD like, like limited. BlackSwanLTD.com. You can learn about the book. 
We've got a bunch of stuff that we give away free, complimentary. We've got a twice a month complimentary negotiation advisory letter that has short, sweet, easy to read articles on anything from negotiating your cable bill to being backed in a corner on a major business deal. We do everything we can. I want people to buy the book, but I, you know, I want them to have better lives too, believe it or not. I really do. And I want people to have fun while they're, while they're negotiating. That's great. That's great. This has been an awesome interview, Chris. We really appreciate you coming on the show and hope to have you again sometime soon. Guys, thanks. You were a lot of fun. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Chris. We appreciate it. Great information. My pleasure.